Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamp, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 285 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as ever by my main man himself. It is, of course, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how you doing, my man? I'm good, my man. I'm over here just relaxing, ready to get this thing on the road, man. I'm all good. How about you? I'm all good, my friend. Always good when speaking with you, but we have to start with uh, with nowhere else but saying it's Eddie's birthday week. Eddie, uh, happy birthday um, for Monday once again, my man. You still don't yeah, look a day it. older than 26. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Even though oh, what, I got a few extra grades, it's all good. I'm not mad at him. <laughs> no, no, no. There's no grades in there, my friend. Anyway, like I say, we appreciate anyone on Twitter that wished Eddie a happy birthday, which some did. So that was nice. Uh, Tuba TJ as well sent in a, a birthday message. I'm actually going to read his birthday message as well because... Uh, it was nice. He said, happy birthday, champ. Love hearing your stories on the Box Hard podcast. So that's from Tuba TJ. Nice one, Tuba, out there in Hawaii. Um, okay, getting on to the review part of the show. We're going to start here at the Plaza del Quinto Centen... I, I messed up last week trying to do this. The, the Plaza del Quinto Centenario in San Juan, Puerto Rico, over here. Amanda Serrano, she's got win number 40 now. She's got a loss and a draw, of course, but a, a KO for her in round nine. She becomes the first lady to stop Daniela Bermudez, who's now 29-4 and four with three draws. Um, a KO there in round nine for Serrano. It was for, um, I believe, the, a couple of featherweight world titles, if I'm not mistaken. I think Bermudez was moving up in weight. Um... Yeah, I, I don't don't take it for gospel what I'm saying. But yeah, good win for Serrano. She definitely became the first lady to stop Bermudez. And yeah, she's she's definitely got 40 wins, man. What a brilliant fighter she is. What a role model there. Uh, moving out now to the Copper Box Arena. Um, this one took place on the Friday, 26th of March. Over here, uh, David Adelaide. He's now 5-0 with five KOs. A first round KO against a man making his debut, Dave Preston. Um, Preston was down from a body shot. Um, Dennis McCann with a win. He's now 9-0. A points win over 8 against Luis Moreno, who's now 9-2. Moreno was down in the 8th round, but he got up and he lasted the distance there. Uh, Dennis McCann, a good win for him. Uh, elsewhere on the card, Sammy Maxwell picked up a points win over 8 against Ben Fields. He's now 15-0. Fields is 10-10 with two draws. Uh, Fields had a point deducted in the 7th for holding. Um, Brad Foster with a win as well. Unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Alvaro Rodriguez, who's now 10-3 with a draw. Brad Foster now 14-0 with two draws there. Um, and he also picked up the vacant IBF International Super Bantamweight title. Uh, elsewhere on the card, Zach Parker with a good win. He was able to TKO Vaughn Alexander, the older brother of Devon. He's the first man to stop Vaughn Alexander. Alexander now 15-5. Not as good, obviously, as Devon. But Zach Parker picks up the W WBO International Super Middleweight title there. Alexander down twice in that second round. Zach Parker, friend of the show, now 20-0. and 0. Um, And the other fight to mention, Danny Ball, 9-0 and 0 with a draw going in against the undefeated Sam Gilly, 11-0. Friend of the show, Sam Gilly, it was for the WBC International international silver welterweight title a unanimous decision in the end a win there for danny ball um commiserations to sam gilly friend of the show like i say he was on a couple weeks back um i sent sam a nice message you know i think he can he can come back from that it wasn't like it was a landslide it was a very close fight could have gone either way uh, he was a slight favorite gilly but you know he, he was just a slight favorite and he just 
slightly lost the fight. So, um, yeah, it was very close. Like I say, could have gone either way. He can bounce back. I'm sure he will. All the best to him. Uh, moving out now to the Europa Point Sports Complex in Gibraltar. Over here, man, we're flying through this quick. Over here, let's start with the undercard. Campbell Hatton making his debut against a Spaniard brought in on late notice, Jesus Ruiz, who was 0-10. and 10. This guy, um, he'd only been stopped once though, so I saw the smart money there and went with a points win for young Campbell Hatton, which of course came in. So that was a, you know, a little uh, little money earner there. Um, a four round points win there for Campbell Hatton, one and zero now. Of course, he won every round. He took some <laughs> some decent shots there from the Spaniard, who looked like he was fighting underwater. To be honest with you, a good win on the card as well for Yusuf Kamari. Now twelve and zero with a draw, a TKO in the fifth round there against the very game Kane Baker. That's a good win actually. Kane Baker now fourteen and eight. Um, moving up the card once again, we're going to talk about the. Hmm. Let's go with a man that we're going to be speaking to in the second half of the show uh, towards the end. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's let's go to that one. Um, Eric Pfeiffer, seven and zero, an undefeated fighter. He was supposed to take on Daniel Dubois a few months ago. The fight fell through. Um, you know, a Danish fight, not Danish. Mm-hmm. Um, from from uh, the Netherlands, a Dutch fighter, is what I was trying to say. Um, he's beaten the likes of Tony Yoka in the Olympics and a few other guys. He he was he was uh, he didn't beat him in the Olympics. He beat him in the amateurs. But Tony Yoka went on to win a gold medal. So quite a good amateur, Eric Pfeiffer. He got in there against Nick Webb. It was for the vacant IBO international heavyweight title. Pfeiffer down three times in the second round. A huge upset from friend of the show Nick Webb. Um, the first round, Nick. Webb Webb was straight out on the front foot, landing big shots. He was clearly very game for the fight. It was a brilliant round. Um, a couple of shots in the first round actually seemed to bother Pfeiffer. Um, and I was just standing up in my living room. Come on, Nick Webb. Round two, Nick Webb, again, he comes out firing. Uh, down went Pfeiffer from a left hook. Um, he just, you know, he got back up. He could not keep Webb off of him. Um, a right hook put him down again. He got back up. Then he's down again seconds after that. Ian John Lewis waved it off. Nick Webb, a humongous upset. He fought like a man possessed, and he was coming off, um, you know, a career-long layoff there. Um, he's on a row. I cannot wait to speak to him later on in the show. Um, elsewhere on the card, let's now discuss... Um um, Fabio Wardley with a KO in the fifth round. He's now 11 and 0 against America's Eric Molina, who's now 27 and 7. Really weird kind of fight, to be honest. A typical Molina fight, I guess, because Eric Molina put in a really good performance for the first few rounds, and in that final fifth round, um, he actually had Fabio Wardley hurt, it looked like, and then he went after him, and then he walked into a shot that didn't really look overly heavy, and he, he went down, he stayed down, and like I say, it was a typical Molina performance. You know, he hurts his opponent, then he ends up getting stopped at the most unexpected moment of the fight. Um... Yeah, I wanted to see I wanted to see a good performance from Eric Molina. He gave us that, but then I don't know, he just walked into one and it didn't even really look like one and I don't know, man. It's typical stuff from him, unfortunately. Elsewhere on the card, Ted Cheeseman now 17-2 and with a draw. Um, a TKO win for him in the 11th round against the previously undefeated 21-0 and James Metcalf. Uh, Metcalf... Um, was down from a left hook to the head prior to the stoppage. It was for the vacant British super welterweight title. Um, Over here, I mean, you know, Cheeseman was an underdog, probably for the first time in his career. It was a typical Cheeseman fight, blood and guts. He wore Metcalf down in the end and stopped him with a big left hook. But Metcalf had big moments himself. It was another kind of contender, I think. And uh, I'm saying this almost every week. It was another contender for fight of the year. Uh, Cheeseman almost had Metcalf out, I think, in the fourth round. Metcalf came back. Like I say, you know, a typical Cheeseman fight. He reminds me of Sam Eggington, where, like... I think he's going to burn out very quickly. I think Cheeseman, by the time he's like 33, hopefully he's long retired by then because every fight is a war. And he can box. He showed us that, I think, in one of his fights. 
and um, it didn't work out for him, even though it was really close. And he just decides to turn back to his old style and try and turn everything into a war. Elsewhere on the card, Chris Congo, now 12-1. and He lost his O in a brilliant, brilliant fight against Michael McKinson. Someone's O had to go. McKinson still has the perfect record intact. 20-0 and now. It was for the WBO Global Welterweight title. Chris Congo down in the first round. Um... Really enjoyable fight to watch, actually. The first round, like I say, McKinson was boxing beautifully. Um, he was boxing at range, but he was also rushing in really quickly at times with quick combinations. And the story of the round was that McKinson was just able to beat Congo to the punch. And like I say, down Congo went with with a straight left hand. Only one glove touched a touchdown on the canvas, and he, you know, he popped straight back up. I don't think he was hurt or anything like that, but, you know, it could have been a tangle of legs, I think, maybe. But anyway, 10-8 round for McKinson. Round two, Congo was on the back foot. McKinson wasn't allowing Congo to get in a rhythm. McKinson was so accurate with his punches as well. McKinson, for me, grabbed that round. Uh, it was a close round, though, I have to say, in the second there. Round three, a clear McKinson round. Um, his judge of distance and his overall boxing brain for me was far superior to Congo. It was on show there in the third. Round four, McKinson for me was picking Congo off and dodging everything coming back. He looked really good early on in the round. Congo did have a strong finish to the round though and I think it looked to me anyway like he hurt McKinson and made the legs stiffen just a bit for McKinson. It was a close one but for me I edged it to Congo but again it could have gone either way. Round 5 a round I felt Congo was cruising to win it despite not much really happening but McKinson did land a lovely combination in the dying seconds that might have just snatched a round. Uh, a close one I, I did edge it to McKinson. Round 6 a Congo round for me. He landed better of the shots there. McKinson was chasing but not really having much success. Um he did change up his tactics a couple of times in the fight, actually, McKinson. He had a few gears. He had a few game plans. A, B, and C, it looked like. Round seven, um, a good round. McKinson, you know, he had his chin checked once or twice in that round, and he come through those tests. He took the shots well. Congo uh, won that round for me, and his jab was was starting to make an appearance, which it hadn't really done in, in previous rounds. Round eight, McKinson was back to his best. Um, an excellent round for him. He landed with almost every left hook he through. He really outclassed Congo. Round 9, a McKinson round as well. Close one. It was an entertaining round as well, but for me, I just edged it to McKinson, and then the 10th and final round, McKinson, for me, got that one, uh, even though it was a close-ish kind of round. But my final card in the end, 97-92 for McKinson, and for me, the rightful champion, the rightful uh, winner of the fight, and like I say, it was a brilliant, brilliant clash of styles, and I, I really like McKinson, because he's a guy that he said before the fight, he's doing this for his young daughter, and there's no need ever to put that pressure on yourself. That, for me, is putting pressure on yourself. You know, to, to when you kind of do that, you know, like you see fighters lose like a family member, and they say, I'm doing this for my granddad, or I'm doing this for my mom, or whatever it is, and you, you kind of think, do you need to put that pressure on yourself? You know, if, if you don't do it, is it, is it going to hurt twice as bad if you lose the fight? You know, so I, I wasn't sure that was the right thing to do before the fight. But listen, it made it twice as sweet, the victory. And it was it was brilliant to see. He was really charged up in his post-fight interview. And you could feel it. You know, it was, it was quite emotional in a good way, actually. And I'm just so pleased for him. He's a friend of the show. You know, he, he said to me in the build-up that Congo is probably the most dangerous welterweight in the country. And, you know, <laughs> he beat him fair and square for me. And, you know, I cannot wait to see what's next for him. He's, he's a guy I've been high on for a long time. I remember sitting ringside watching him beat Sammy McNess. And I became a believer right there. And then, you know, just his boxing brain is just it's, it's so impressive. His judge of distance, his foot work is brilliant and um it was it was it was a brilliant breakout win hopefully he now um gets a few more chances on the big stage where he belongs and um you know hopefully his his fan base grows as well off that um you know he's he's a man you know waving the flag there in in Portsmouth not known for their boxers um Moving up the card once again I think that's all the undercard fights actually I think we have gone through them Yes, we have. It's now time for the main event. Uh, Alexander Povetkin now 36-3 and three with a draw. A TKO loss to Dillian White in their rematch. Dillian White now 28-2. and two. It was for the WBC interim world heavyweight title. Povetkin down from a left hook prior to the stoppage. I'm going to fly through 
my assessment real, real brief here. The first round, a good round for Dillian White. I'm not sure if he had Povetkin hurt um, or it was a balance issue, um, but he, he clipped him with a shot and he just looked a bit unsteady on his feet. I don't know what it was. He was struggling to get inside as well. He kept fainting the left hook. He'd, he'd kind of faint the roll to the left. And uh, <laughs> you you sitting there kind of sweating watching that. You know, he'd, he'd uh, duck down, you know, Eddie, like he did when he popped back up with that uppercut. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was yeah. doing that little... Uh, that little that little feint and yeah, why every time he did that, he answered the telephone for the block just in case it did come. Um, <laughs> but yeah, white round, uh, white round there in the, in the first round two, a white round as well for me. Not much action, um, even without the action. You know, your heart was racing for Dillian White if you're a Dillian White fan, and the pure anticipation and the fact that you just can't blink made it so exciting. A good start though for Dillian White. Um, he wasn't as cautious as I thought he'd be. Round three, a good round again for Dillian White. He landed two beautiful right hands. The first of the two for me was the best. Povetkin walked right into. Uh, um, you know, a huge overhand right, but he took it well. Uh, in the first fight, I thought Povetkin's punch resistance had gone overnight as well, but he did seem like his chin was back for this fight here. Um, round four, Dillian White hurt Povetkin with a good couple right hands, and then the knockout itself, uh, White hurt Povetkin with another right hand, and Povetkin fell right into the ropes, which for me, I hate to be controversial, but those ropes definitely held him up. So for me, I thought Victor Lachlan should have jumped in and gave Povetkin account but of course he didn't he allowed the action to continue and Povetkin you know was out on his feet really after that and it was a left hook that put him down properly um so yeah he didn't get any time to recover from that shot which the rules do stay if if the ropes hold you up and prevent you actually dropping to the floor it should be called a knockdown he should have had seconds but forget about that I'm a Dillian White fan uh, redemption for Dillian White you know, he needs the recognition now for me. I think that's a serious win. Uh, Povetkin's corner as well. The ta the towel came in from them because Povetkin did actually get up um, and beat the count. The referee stopped it anyway. But yeah, brilliant stuff from Dillian White. He's beaten a man who only world champions seem to beat. And he is, for me, the most deserving man at a heavyweight title shot by far. You know, he's been taking on all these hard fights, you know, while, while being ranked number one with the WBC. And it couldn't go on forever, you know. I think perhaps he might have burnt himself out a little bit. You know, he had these hard fights, after, you know, one after the other, one after the other. And we saw how dangerous it can be in the end. You can't keep doing that. He got knocked out. He come back and avenged it with a knockout, um, which is very impressive, like I say. And yeah, he's had such a crazy run. He's probably got the best resume of any heavyweight in recent years out of, you know, outside of the champions, I think. And yeah, I don't really want to see him keep having these hard, big, risky fights. You know, I want to see him just kind of get a couple easy ones and get his shot, which he deserves. He's deserved it for a long time. And um, he had to wait over a thousand days, didn't he? He didn't get his shot, and then he lost by knockout, and it looked like, you know, that was going to be the end, really, and he, he was never going to get it. Now he's back. I'm not saying he's lucky, because, you know, he, he, he won the fight by knockout, like I say, he dominated in the second fight, but I don't think he should take that risk again. I think he's seen what can happen if you keep taking risks. Learn from that. Don't take another risk. Have a couple subpar you know, opponents, which I think he deserves. Like I say, he's had such a strong resume and um, and then give him his title shot. But anyway, forget about that. What did you make of the fight, Eddie? And what do you think about, you know, his next few moves? Should he be taking these hard fights against the likes of Parker and <laughs> all these other guys, Oscar Rivas? Honestly, uh, you know, he did what, honestly, we expected him to do the first time out. Uh, I still thought even, you know, in the first fight and even in this fight, Povetkin would be a bigger challenge than what he was. And the first fight, I mean, I felt like in the first fight, he, you know, Povetkin did some business, even even with, um, you know, I guess the scorecards leaning toward Dillian. Uh, but then obviously catching him and stopping him. In this fight, though, we kind of saw what if Dillian, if everything's working and Dillian's behind the jab and boxing like he should be boxing and being strong and powerful as he is, um, that it would be this way. And, you know, you know I don't want to take any... I'm not going to throw any shade and say take anything away from Dillian's win. Regardless, he beat a guy that stopped him. And Povetkin being a bit older at this point, you know what I mean? It He should have been able to beat him in this fashion, honestly. You know what I'm saying? Not to say that Povetkin's gone or was gone, but he's not quite what he was at one point, and Dillian should 
be able to handle him in, in this particular way. As far as going forward for Dillian, I agree with you 100%, Joey, at this point. You know what I mean? It's not padding your record. It's not doing anything like that. It's just putting yourself in a position to be prepared for a title shot. You know, the things that, you know, when I was coming up, I looked at, you know, give me whoever's next. You know what I'm saying? First guy up. It doesn't matter who it is. You know what I mean? If that be a champion, that'd be a champion. And I applaud Dillian for looking at boxing that way. But you got to also start looking at your legacy, and you also want to make sure that you get the opportunity to be be a world champion. With me, I had the opportunity once, and it never came around again. And a lot of times it's because you're taking fights that you may not need at the time at the time that you take them. You know what I'm saying? And I'm looking at Dillian's resume, and like you said, the Oscar Rivas fight, you know, the 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 uh, you know Parker fight. All those fights. I'm not saying part of the, the Parker fight was, you know, that's a situation where either one of those guys could be getting a title shot soon. You know what I mean? So I guess you take that fight for that. But when you're ranked number one and you have an opportunity to get get that gold, you can't mess around with it. Because if like what, what happened with Pavekin, like you said, it almost was a situation where maybe he doesn't get the opportunity to get the title shot after that. You know what I mean? People are looking at him like you just got knocked out by an old guy. You know, they start thinking like, oh, you're not this, you're not that, and then it takes your opportunity away. You know what I mean? So he's got to learn from that mistake. You got to understand that this is a business just as much as it is a sport now. And you got to take it. You got to take in stride, whatever you're going to get. You got to make sure that if you do fight some, if you do fight someone, you make it a situation where at least, you know, the outcome before it. I hate to say that because I don't, you know, I'm not a fan of that necessarily, but you got to protect your position. You got to have it. You got to get as you, you got to give yourself that opportunity to get that title. Yeah, well, like I say, he certainly deserves it, and we couldn't have been uh, more wrong about our prediction for this fight. We both agreed on a white points win. We really don't know bleep about boxing, Eddie. It's uh, it's, it's been proven a few times now. <laughs> Most of the time, our predictions actually pretty pretty much stand up, but every once in a while, you get one of these things, man. So, you know, maybe we don't know enough about boxing now. I don't want to say we don't know nothing about it, you know what I mean? <laughs> But anyway, the, uh, the the you know the the bookies keep getting stuff wrong. Like I say, it seems like I don't know what it is, but in sport, there's so many upsets during this pandemic, and I've already mentioned a few, um, you know, that that's happened this 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 week. You know, that I've already mentioned, like Danny Ball. He was a slight underdog against Sam Gilly. He beat him. Um, I mentioned another one being. Um, Nick Webb against Eric Pfeiffer. That was a big upset. Michael McKinson upset uh, Chris Congo. So that's what's that three there. Um, and then there was another upset which I'm going to mention now, which took place in Russia at the RCC Boxing Academy. Uh, Tabiso Machunu was actually the underdog, but he was able to beat unanimously over 12 rounds the previously undefeated Evgeny Tishenko, who's now um, eight and one. It was for the WBC Silver Cruiserweight title, but like I say, Machunu was quite a big underdog, and he's pulled off the win there um, on points. Um, moving out now to the club saga Heredia in Malaga, Andalusia. Over here, friend of the show, John O'Carroll, former world title challenger, now 19-2 and with a draw. He was able to beat his opponent, who was actually undefeated, 9-0, and even though I think he only boxed... I don't think he boxed anyone with a winning record. And I think he actually only had beaten one guy with any wins. I think he boxed pretty much guys that had never won a fight and debutants. Um, anyway, forget about that. Uh, John O'Carroll was able to make the opponent retire on his store after the fourth round. Romic Alrap. I don't know what the hell his name is. Forget about him. He's 9-1. John O'Carroll marches on. Friend of the show. Moving out now to the Copper Box Arena. Over here, another big upset. Willie Hutchinson, the undefeated um, super middleweight from Scotland. He is now 13-1. He was upset brutally by Lennox Clark, who's now 20-1 with a draw. A TKO in the fifth round there. Hutchinson was cut above the left eye, and he was down from... Um, a two-punch combination. It put him down. He got back up very, very quickly. He got back up, and he was really, you know, unsteady on his legs. His eyes were all over the place. But I still kind of thought that the stoppage was a little bit sudden. I haven't heard anyone else say that, so shoot me down if you think I'm wrong. But I think that was a tiny bit soon. 
Um, anyway, I said it on last week's show. I tried so many times to get Willie Hutchinson on the podcast, and you know, I think he ended up blocking me. To be honest with you, so I don't know if he's going to be on again. Um, I wish him all the best. I wanted him to win. He ended up getting knocked out and stopped, and you know, it was a big upset again. But I wish him all the best in his comeback trial. He is a friend of the show for life, even if he's been on and won't be on again. That, that you know, he remains a friend of the show. All the best to him on the comeback trial. Uh, also on the card, Nathan Gorman, now 18 and 1, a TKO in the second round against Pavel Sauer, former um, Huey Fury opponent. He's now 13 and 4. Sauer was down three times in the first round and twice in the second. So he was down five times in two rounds. Finally, it was. Uh, it was called off in the second round. Um, yeah, that's it for the review part. Actually, there's one more card to mention. It takes place uh, in Australia. Um, I'm going to mention it at the very end of the show because while we're recording this, the result hasn't yet come in, but it's that card that features Tim Zhu uh, against Dennis Hogan and, of course, our, our guest from last week, uh, Sakio Bika, in his rubber match against Sam Solomon. But anyway, that's it for the review part. The final thing to do just before we wrap up part one is to welcome our first guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBO heavyweight world champion. It is, of course, Mr. Joseph Parker. Joseph, welcome back on the show, brother. Oh, good to be back. Good to be back, finally. <laughs> <laughs> Always great to speak with you, Joe. It truly is. Uh, we last spoke back in September of 2019. Um, yeah, it was a long time ago. I remember at that time as well, we were discussing what was going to be your upcoming fight for October 26th. It was going to be against Chisora. Um, obviously, the fight didn't take place. You got bit by a spider. I still don't understand how that happened, Joe. Tell me, how did a spider bite you? And knock you out. Listen, no, I was training in New Zealand, and I've I've taken my training a lot more seriously as of late. So I was training in New Zealand, and I was um I was in great shape. Uh, but before I left New Zealand, I looked down at, at my leg, my right leg, and there was a little hole in, in the on the right side of my leg, on the right leg, and I just didn't think anything of it. I didn't I didn't even know what it was to be honest. So I jumped on a plane and flew to Vegas to start training camp for the Chisora fight. And then two weeks in, I'm good. Everything's fine. I'm sparring. Um, you know, did some sparring with a few guys that were there. Three, third week, still feeling okay. And then probably like the end of the third week, my body started like deteriorating in, in like energy. Like the energy just, just zapped out of me. And then I was sweating at night, and I was you know, I had the shivers, and I I just couldn't sleep um, at night. And then um, from there, we just started, and then my energy started getting worse and worse. And we went to the doctors. Uh, in Vegas, and they did a few tests. And he, he, the doctor in Vegas, said to us, "It was a, it was a spider bite from New Zealand." When he sort of uh, had a look at the hole in my leg, wow. and so, and that's where it all came from. So the, the doctor in Vegas said it was a spider bite. I had no idea that spiders in New Zealand can do this. But where, where I live at in New Zealand, it's sort of like in the country, um, like you know, we've got a lot of uh, trees, and we've got a lot of, you know, it's, it's sort of like a nice farm sort of area. And so I, I'm not sure. It's, it probably was, but. You know, that's all I could take from that was what he said, the doctor. Wow. Well, yeah, that was uh, that was one of the most bizarre things that's, that's happened in recent years. Um, yeah, just getting the timeline right. Obviously, you had the one fight in 2020 against Sean Del Winters. You got him out there in five. Uh, then, for me, you did enough to win. If, if there was a WBC lockdown world title, those unbelievable <laughs> entertaining videos you did on Twitter, man, you showed that side of your personality that I think a lot of people hadn't seen before. Where did all that come from, Joe, man? It was brilliant. I couldn't wait for the next one every time. <laughs> um, it was. Do you know where it came from? It was just to uplift and spread positive vibes for a very hard time. Not only for, like, listen, a lot of people find it hard to stay at home. And when we're in lockdown, it affects people mentally. And I just want, we, uh, myself and my cameraman and my wife and kids and everyone else that joined in with the video just wanted to spread, spread positive vibes to, to people that were watching. And uh, I enjoyed it. I had fun. It was cool. And I, I don't think I'll ever stop. If I, you know, if I get any suggestions on what we can do next, then uh, we'll start planning again. But in the meantime, for now, it's just training. Um, but uh, listen, that was fun. And I enjoyed it. And uh, hopefully something come from it at the end of my boxing career. 
Yeah, man, it was it was wicked to see, and I remember that one. I don't know if it's my favourite part of those videos or, or my least favourite part, but when I think it was you that threw the the toilet paper and it lands in the swimming pool, I was like, <laughs> "How can he do that? I would fish it back out with a net if that was me." <laughs> but but let's talk about your your most recent fight briefly, Joe. February twenty seventh in New Zealand, um, obviously a points win against your former amateur foe, Junior Far. How do you assess that performance there, Joe? Uh, um, it's good to get the win. That's what we always want to get um, to to get you know to get the bigger fights that are out there. But the the performance wise, it wasn't it wasn't at all close to what I wanted to show in the ring, or wasn't you know it wasn't what I expected for myself. So it wasn't um, I you know if, if you see the end of the fight, I, I don't know if you've seen it. I, I wasn't too happy with with uh, how I won. Um, and I, I, you know, just I give credit to Junior and his team for coming in. He was able to, um, you know, diffuse a lot of the, you know, attacks that I put in place. And I, I, I guess uh, I still have a lot to work on and a lot to improve from that performance. So, um, yeah, it wasn't the best and I, I wasn't too happy, but it's always good to get the win. And again, I've seen like mixed opinions online about the performance. You know, some people say the scorecards, the scorecards are too wide, uh, you know, whatever. I think that really, you know, coming from the UK or the US or whatever, I don't think people really know how good Junior Far is. I'm not making an excuse, but I think it was a big, big fight in, in New Zealand. And I don't think he's really had that kind of breakout fight. I think this was it. And people weren't expecting much from him, whereas I think he's better than uh, people people thought he was. But forget about that. It's in the past now. Uh, after the fight, the news broke that you decided to split with long-term trainer Kevin Barry. Was that a difficult decision for you, Joe? Probably one of the most difficult decisions I've ever had to make um, in, in life, really, because I've been with Kevin for about eight years. We 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 had a great setup in Vegas, and we have great training routine. And he's he's more like like it goes beyond boxer and and trainer. You know, he's sort of like a father a father figure, and he's done a lot for me and my family. And I I always hold him as a close friend of mine. So it was very hard, um, you know, having that discussion of hey hey coach, um, you know. I want to try something else, and but to be honest, credit you know to Kevin, he was very supportive and very understanding, and we finished off in good terms. So we, you know, as as soon as I saw him and we had the discussion, he left back to Vegas, and and it was time for me to sit down and with our team and see who can we appoint as a new trainer. And you know, I understand as you say, you parted ways amicably. That's a good thing. Um, is it fair to say, Joe, that maybe things were getting a tiny bit stale? Yeah, you know, as a fighter, things. I mean, as as much as we try and change it up, and as much as we try and add this and add that, it's always, you know, it always reverts back to you know just being in the same place and and sort of doing the same things. And I felt like it was getting a little bit um stale, and that's no one's fault, really. It's just it's because we've just been doing it for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And I want to ask you this: it's a bit of a difficult question, uh, I think here. But did the junior far fight kind of? make the decision for you or did you have your mind made up before that about changing trainers uh i i didn't have my mind made up before that i was pretty it was it was that fight that sort of you know just the fight and then just i wasn't really i didn't have the excitement of of flying back to vegas and training or i didn't have you know or, or just doing the same thing I, I wasn't excited and it didn't sort of motivate me um you know for any fights that i had after the junior far fight but that fight did help as well yeah, no, I understand that. And yeah, I mean, I've got, a, I'll be honest with you, Joe, you know, you, you're a friend of mine, but I think the last few performances, and I'm I'm not going to sugarcoat, uh, you're more than yeah, welcome to tell it, yeah. me if, you're more than welcome to tell me if you think I'm being harsh, but if we go over your last five fights really quickly here, um, Dillian White, brilliant performance. I thought you actually won that fight. A lot of people don't agree with me, but I don't really care. Uh, you almost had him out in the final round. It was, it was close, but I, I just shaded it to you. Um, Alexander Flores, you smashed him to pieces. Alex Leopai, you got in there, you got him out uh, in the end, but I thought you made quite hard work of it. Sean Dale yeah. Winters, again, I think you made it harder than it had to be, but you did get him out of there brutally. And then obviously Junior Farr. Um, it hasn't it was, been. It's not up to scratch. It's not up to scratch yeah. the performances. Yeah, it hasn't been the smoothest. It's, you've, you've looked a tiny bit flat. I don't know if it's overtraining. I don't know if it's lacking the motivation, which is understandable considering, you know, the big the big pay-per-view events you've been involved in. Um, yeah, is that fair to say, Joe? 
Very fair to say. And I, I listen, I'm with you on that. It's, it hasn't been the best performances, and I wasn't. It's always like it's great to get the win, and some of those have been knockouts, but it could have been done in a better way. It could have been done earlier. It could have. I could have looked better. I could have looked more sharper. I could have done this better. Done. You know what I mean? So, I understand exactly where you're coming from, and I feel the same. No, good stuff. And pretty much straight after the fight, rumors sparked about that possible Chisora fight being reignited. Um, I knew straight away this is a fight that would motivate you. I think it's a brilliant style fight for you. It's now been made, obviously. Um, Eddie Hearn came up with a date, made a first. Initially, I thought it was going to be a bit soon, considering you'd gone 12 and you'd had the trainer split and all that. But um, is it still enough time to be 100% an ideal for you? It's It's enough time. I guess it's... You know, as a fighter, you want to, you know, you want to train, you want to keep busy. And I felt uh, in, in sort of previous years when I was a, a busy fighter, I, I had good momentum. And also because when you're in a ring, often you're learning your craft, you're getting more experience, you, you know. And, and I mean, when you're away from the ring for a long time, it's like you get that ring rust. And I, I didn't really think that ring rust existed, but it does, you know, when you're out of the ring for so long. Yeah, and obviously you're now speaking to me from Ireland. Uh, you, you're out there training with Andy Lee. The rumor online was that apparently Tyson Fury made the suggestion that you should go with Andy Lee. I apologize because I haven't seen anything, uh, any interviews that you've done in the recent days, so I don't that's know okay. if that's uh, if that's 100% true or not. I and mean, you've answered this question a million times before, but is that what happened? Yeah, after I had the discussion with Kevin and we, we parted ways, he went back to Vegas. I was thinking to myself, who... Know, who should I get advice from? Um, and there's no no one better than um, Tyson Fury. So I called up Tyson, and he always he always takes my calls, always makes time for me, treats me like a brother. I said, hey, Tyson, this has just happened. What do you think um, I should do next? Who do you think I should train with? And he put Andy Lee right up there with the best trainers he's ever trained with. And uh, from there, he, get, he gave Andy Lee a call to see if he was available to train me. Um, Andy said yes. Then I got on got on about three or four calls with, with Andy and my manager, David Higgins. And from there, like five or six days later, I'm on an airplane flying to Ireland to meet him for the first time um, to to sort of get to get to, get to work um, together on, on the pads and, and sort of guide me through training. And then we had the fight locked in. Great, man. That's, that's good. And I wish you the best with Andy Lee. I think that's a really interesting link up there. Hope it works out. Um, I hope you're happy. That's the main thing. Um, if you've got a prediction for Mater first, Joe, how do you see the fight playing out? Yeah, listen, I'm not going to say knockout because every time I try to look for a knockout, it doesn't happen. I, I, I think with the, um, you know, I always back myself. I just saw backs himself as well. But with the training that I'm doing, with the, the things that I'm picking up and, um, you know, just a few things that, that Andy's teaching me, I feel I feel that's going to be a good performance. You know, just if I go out there and enjoy myself and work on the things and show what the things that we've been working on, it's going to be... It's going to be a good display. So I just got to, you know, there's going to be a lot of pressure from Chisora coming in and chasing me and trying to get me on the ropes just to net. But I'm just going to, you know, do my thing, stay calm and let it happen. And I want to get your take on two other heavyweight fights that's happening just before we wrap it up, Joe. I want to get your take on a big one and one that's slightly below that level. Which one do you want first? Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get the one that's sort of slightly and then we'll get the okay. big one after. Okay. It's looking like it's going to be taking place for the right to become mandatory for the IBF. Hunter Hergovic. Ooh. Wow. Wow, that's a, <laughs> that's, a, that's actually a very good fight. I mean, Hergovic is, is quite um, still new uh, in, in the heavyweight scene. He How many fights has he had? About 10 fights? Is he? Something or like just that. Something like that. So, and then Hunter, obviously, he's... Uh, very good mover. Um, he's been in the ring with some, you know, some great fighters. I don't know. Just a pit. Uh, who do you have? Well, Hunter's like one of my closest friends in the world, so I'm I'm with Hunter. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I, I fought Herkovic and we get along well. And I mean, we text in there, but I, I also message Hunter as well, and I respect him as a fighter. And I feel like he's got, you know, he, I, he's one of those fighters that will fight anyone. Yeah, yeah, you know. A lot of people avoid different fights and, and try and, and, and pick this fight or that fight, but he's like, ah, oh, give me anyone. Yeah, you're right there. And it should be a good one. Hopefully, the best man wins. And uh, the, the the big one, I think you know which, which one it is. Joshua, a man that you boxed, and Fury, a man that sounds like somewhat of a mentor and a close friend now. Yeah, that's that's listen, I think that's the fight that everyone is waiting to happen. I mean, they, they've said their contracts have been signed. And they're just looking for a venue now. But 
their fight has to happen. And it is a two-fight deal signed for, for both fighters. You know, whoever wins is another fight. It is a rematch clause. But I, I back Fury for this fight. I've backed him from the beginning, and I'll back him now. And I, I feel like he'll be... He'll be the one to come out on top. I know it's not. There's nothing, no disrespect to Anthony Joshua or his team or anything they've done. But I just feel that Fury is the, you know, I feel like that he's the one. He's going to come out on top and, and take care of business. Yeah, you and me both. And just finally, Joe, before we wrap it up, if you've got a closing message to the listeners, it's always great having you on. It's it's honestly a pleasure having you on. If you've got any closing words to the listeners before we let you go, take it away, my friend. Uh, all the listeners. Thank you guys for listening uh, to the Box Hard podcast, and thank you guys for your support. And you know, as a fighter, um, I, I really love being in Ireland and training, and I'm I'm very happy and excited for my fight in May one. And I'm gonna go out there and do my thing and have fun and take your business. And I back myself to get a win. I know I have a tough challenge in front of me, but I'm gonna you know I'm gonna I'll do my best to get the victory. So keep supporting, keep backing us, and uh, see you May one. And more importantly, tune in, May the 1st. Okay, listen, Joseph, it's always great speaking with you, my friend. Thanks for your time. Congrats on the win the other week. I hope we get to see you uh, become victorious as well on May the 1st, and we'll speak sometime after. Thank you, bro. Speak soon. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. We're going to start here with... Um, a big fight that's been announced for April 30th. We've got over here Sonny Edwards going for the IBF World Flyweight title against the long-reigning champion Maruti Mathanlane. I'm not sure if that's how it's really pronounced, but yeah, you know, Sonny Edwards, the brother of Charlie, he's been on the show again. He's uh, he's a guy that's been on before. Um, I, w- I wish him all the best. He is one of my favorite fighters to watch. Really good footwork and stuff like that, but you know, Mathan um, Lane's up there in age. He's he's got to be probably about thirty six. There's a big age difference between the two, but should be a really really good fight. I think Sonny Edwards will be the underdog again there. Um, April the thirtieth as well. We've got Michael Conlon in a fight. He takes on Iron Up Baluta. I think that's the guy who pulled off an upset over someone. Bear with because I don't want to give out wrong information. Um, Iron Up Baluta, I'm sure he was able to upset someone. He was able to upset TJ Doheny. Yeah, then he knocked out David Oliver Joyce. So he's on a bit of a run. There his last two fights. So Michael Conlon, man, oh man, he's taking out these um, the, these Irish guys. So can he get can he get a result against Conlon? Not quite sure about that one. That might be a step too far. Uh, all the best to Conlon in that one. Um, that is it for the news. Yeah, that's all we've got at the minute. If anything else develops from now to the end of the show, I will discuss it at the very end. Moving on to the preview part of the show. We're going to start here in Russia tomorrow, uh, Friday the 2nd of April. We get to see over here Alexei Papin. He's the guy that's got one loss on points to um, Ilunga Makabu. It was a really good fight, and I actually like Pepin. He's 12-1. and one. He takes on a guy called Vaclav Pejar, who's 15-10. and 10. Not sure what's going on over there. Uh, moving out now to the Caesars Palace in Dubai. Over here um, on the undercard, let's start with that. We've got Zankosh Turarov. He's 24-0. Um, undefeated fighter. It's for the WBO Intercontinental Super Lightweight title. He takes on Tyrone McKenna, who of course is 21-2 and two with a draw. Um, that's a tough fight there for Tyrone McKenna. He's, he's definitely um, up against it there. You know, he's, he's boxing this guy, Turarov. I was trying to look at his amateur background that I couldn't really see much on him from what I could see. But, um, you know, he hasn't really boxed any fantastic fighters as a pro, even though he's managed to get to 24-0 with 17 KOs. He's known as Dakazak Kid. Uh, he's, he's actually a man residing in Florida. But anyway, um, hopefully Tyron McKenna can spring the upset, but I think it certainly would be an upset. Uh, also on the card, Donny Nietes, who these days is 42-1 and with five draws. He's on the card as well. I'm not even sure how many times he's been a world champion. I think he's, what's he, about a four-weight world champion, I think, now. Um, he fights for the vacant WBO International Super Flyweight title against Pablo Carrillo, who's 25-7 and with a draw, the Colombian fighter. Um, yeah, that's, that's good to see Donny Nietes 
back out on on the kind of big stage you know we, we get to watch him over here um yeah that should be interesting and elsewhere on the card the main event let's talk about it now a man that for me is one of the nicest guys in boxing and i'm sure you will agree eddie even though you are the number the number one this guy's got to be close second mr jamel herring 22 and 2 defending his WBO World Super Featherweight title against Carl Frampton, Eddie. Um, I think... What do you say? As, as it all wow, that's a, yeah, that's a good fight. Yeah, Carl Frampton, 28-2. and two. I know you know these guys, um, you know, decently well to give a take on it. So, uh, what's your views, big man? Oh, uh, man, it's a... It's an interesting... It's definitely it's an interesting fight. I mean, I like... Obviously, I have uh, somewhat of a relationship with... Um, Jamel Herring, and at this point, man, it's like a toss-up. I think, I think, uh, you know, Carl Frampton has a heck of a heck of a resume. You know, great fighter, you know, world champion, you know, former champion, all. And uh, obviously, Jamel, you know, up and coming still. I mean, even though, you know, obviously has you know established himself as 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 a top fighter in the division, a top fighter in the world. Um, it's just interesting. I just need to see the. I just need to see the fight. I just need to see it. And I'm really not sure. You know what I mean? Obviously, I want to see Jamel win. I want to see him do really well, box well. You know, I mean, I actually, actually watched Jamel fight in person a few times, and like I said, one of the nicest guys ever. But, but also, also awesome fighter, really, really, um, you know, dedicated to his craft, and just gonna keep getting better all the time. So, you know what I mean? This is a, a very, very tough task, though. You know, fighting with uh, with, with Frampton. This is not gonna be an easy, an easy situation. If he's not on his game the night of, which you know, you know, not every single time you get out there, you're gonna be the best of you, uh, you know, the best that you can be. You know, sometimes you have issues. Um, it'll be a, if that happens, he's not gonna obviously be. <laughs> he may not be champ anymore. So, you know, I'm just hoping that he's ready. He's ready on the night. He, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that he's uh, able to take care of business in that fight. It's a very interesting fight. I'm looking, looking forward to watching it myself. Yeah, in the States, it's on ESPN Plus. In uh, in the UK, you can watch it on IFL TV's YouTube channel, which is pretty good. Um, yeah, Carl Frampton, you know, you've you've got to kind of remember, it's, it sounds like, I, I kind of sound like a broken record now, you know. He, he's a guy that really was a, a um, super bantam. Obviously, he moved up to featherweight, and now he's up at Super Feather. Jamel Herring really and truly is a lightweight coming down, and he's absolutely huge. Um, when you see the two stood next to each other, the the size difference is absolutely crazy. Um, but yeah, Jamel Herring, you know, his last fight he didn't look the best, even though he he won the fight. His opponent got disqualified. I think he won probably every round on the cards, but he had a few rough and tumble moments there, um, and you know. He obviously had COVID once or twice. Uh, Carl Frampton, though, he's got his own problems. He has had the fight put off by about four weeks due to hand troubles, which, you know, have, have been a story of his career, unfortunately. So, should be a good one. I am rocking with Jamel Herring. I have to. He's, you know, he's a friend of the show. Um, I'd like to try and get Carl Frampton on the show, perhaps, after the fight. Uh, I've, I've, I've reached out. I'm going to try and get that to happen, but we shall see. But I just want to say to the listeners, I've been working my absolute nuts off trying to get different people on. I'm trying to get some guys on that you certainly wouldn't um, expect. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to leave that there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really try my best to get some wild cards on the show. And when I say wild cards, I mean world champion wild cards. Uh, we shall see. Um, but yeah, all the best to Jamel. Should be a great fight. You know, it's, it's been a long time coming. I think the fight was supposed to happen before as well. And I think it got put off maybe once or twice. So really pleased. Jamel's wanted to fight for a long, long, long time as well. So he's finally getting it. Um, moving out now to Uzbekistan over here. Um, Murajon Akhmadaliev, he is 8-0. He's defending his WBA and IBF World Super Bantamweight titles against Ryasuki Iwasa, who's now 27-3. Iwasa, um, you know, he's... I I think he had the interim belt, the IBF interim belt, I believe. I think he picked that up. That's pretty much why the fight's happening um, from the IBF. But yeah, he's the guy that lost to TJ Doheny. So um, it's been a bit of a weird one. He lost to TJ Doheny. Doheny fought Danny Roman. Danny Roman fought um, 
Murajonak Medaliev and lost to him and now it's gone round and round and now Iwasa gets a shot again. But he's a good he's a good fighter, like I say. Um, you know, been a world champion, uh, you know. And I I hope it's a good fight. It should be quite good, but I really like the look of Akmedaliev, man. He is something special, it certainly seems. Um, is there a couple fights to mention on the undercard? I think there are. Um, Shakram Giasov, 10-0. This one's for the WBA International Super Lightweight title. He takes on Patricio Lopez Marino, who's 28-4. and um, Marino's been in with, like, Dennis Berenchik. He's been in with a couple of other guys. Shouldn't really have too much to... Uh, to, to give problems for GSOV. Also on the card as well, Israel Madrimov, 6-0, takes on Imani Colombo, who's 14-0 with 14 KOs from um, from uh, the, the, the Democratic Republic of Congo, based in South Africa. Um, hasn't really... I mean, to be honest, he's boxed some guys I've, I've heard of as well on his record. But yeah, I like seeing guys who have got the 100% KO... Um, ratio, and it's going to be interesting to see how Israel Madridov or Madrimov, I should say, gets on with him because he has five big KOs from six wins, and like I say, really, really, really good um, um, amateur. You know, with with tons and tons of fights as an amateur. Anyway, that is it though for the preview part of the show. We did the news, we did the review, we had our first guest. It's now time to welcome our second and final guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the hard-hitting heavyweight wildcard. It is, of course, Mr. Nick Webb. Nick, welcome to the show, my man. It's, it's great to have you back on. Thank you, man. Good to be here. And Nick, we uh, we haven't spoke for quite a while. And obviously, like I say, uh, it was the listeners that, that wanted you on the podcast. Um, how are you, man, first and foremost? I'm doing very good, mate. Still buzzing from the weekend. <laughs> So you should be. And like I say, we ain't spoke since December 2019. Uh, it was just after you won the Ultimate Boxer Tournament. And until the other the other night, you know, you were inactive for 15 months coming off that. Um, what did you get up to, Nick, in that time? Because obviously it was the longest period of inactivity for you. Yeah, well, like, um, so after the, after the wins, I sort of thought, right, I'm back sort of thing from the Ultimate Boxer and uh, was just wait, just trying to get a a good deal to fight again and then obviously covid covid hit and uh yeah i didn't know where what you know if the world was going to end or if zombies were going to come out of nowhere so <laughs> we sort of just uh just thought right just been just enjoy this time off so i had about two weeks of just like i don't know eating shit and drinking and then just thought oh this can't can't keep doing this and then just slowly got back into training but there was nothing really going on. Like the only thing we got offered was like uh, Fabio with like two weeks' notice, and obviously we wasn't ready, weren't in no camp or nothing, so I weren't going to take a two-week uh, notice job. That like, obviously I've learnt from my past. So yeah, and then just had a pretty bad time in lockdown. Lost uh, lost a few people. Um, oh, uh, not not because of COVID, just um, but because of other stuff, and then obviously not seeing family and friends and things like that so yeah it wasn't a good time but from the sort of beginning of January just fired back up and found a new lease of uh, training hard and was straight in camp from 2nd of January and then got that call to fight Pfeiffer was ready to go. Wow well like I say it seems like it's been quite a difficult uh, 2020 for you like it's been for you know a lot of people yeah. um the best thing is 15 months ago you box three men in one night you you win the ultimate boxer tournament but on that night you were coming off a year out the ring as well um now you've just come off a year and three months out of the ring you've pulled off <clears> the <throat> biggest win against this previously undefeated eric pfeiffer um it's almost as if the more inactive you are the better you perform which <laughs> sounds mad nick but tell me about this fight in gibraltar man i've got to say it was yeah. just a pleasure to watch. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing, to be honest. Nice man. Well, I, I'll start <clears throat> with like obviously before um, the armor boxer. Obviously, I was coming off you know knockout defeats, and uh, it was uh, it was a hard time. I don't know. I, I had to fight a lot of demons in my head, and a lot of people like close to me telling me that I should give up and that um, you know that I should be looking to do something else, but I, I sort of stayed true to the dream, kept training hard, 
kept believing in myself and my team believed in me. Obviously, we won that. And then, um, yeah, then we got uh, off the Gibraltar fight. And, uh, yeah, what a night that was. was buzzing. Um, getting that win just uh, just sort of electrified everything. But, nah, man, I need to be active. I, I don't need it in activity. But it did um, give me a lot of time out to sort of work on a lot of things that I needed to work on. And like I said, I've got to be honest, when I saw you were coming off 15 months out and this guy was undefeated, a good amateur with wins over the Olympic gold medalist Tony Yoka, I thought to myself, your chances are probably slim. That's me being honest. And that's that's why I'm so happy for you because you've had so many ups and downs like you touched on and this surely has to be the biggest of ups, especially when you know it was such a big upset on paper. Uh, and like I said to you, Nick, who needs a gold medal when you've got a gold robe, my friend? <laughs> that's right mate that's right like you said it was it's probably the best night in boxing I ever had Wicked, being man. you know in Gibraltar and and then doing an upset like that uh, you know it was never known to me so the closer I got to the fight the more I sort of realised that I'm the big underdog yeah, I was like, I was, I was, I, you know in our training I was thinking quite they're stupid to take this fight with me sort of thing um and I, you know, we always believed that I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to go through him, and that's what we did on the night. Yeah, and you know, you pro- you proved all the doubters wrong. Um, it was it was amazing. He didn't even land a glove. I mean, I just, it was just brilliant. You know, you were so aggressive. It worked so well, and he just didn't, he just didn't know what to do. Um, you're in the best form of your life. Sixteen months ago, you'd never fought an undefeated fighter. You're now coming off three wins in a row against undefeated fighters. What's the next stop? for the Nick Webb Express train? Uh, not sure. I've got to need to sit down with my team, uh, speak to my manager, Scott, and literally go from there. Obviously, we're, we're still fresh at a win, so I think he's just thinking of um, what's the, he's plotting the next moves and then we're going to have a meeting and go from there. And how soon, ideally, do you want to be out again, Nick? And like I said earlier, um, I think the best thing to say is to say like 2022 or 2023, the way your career is going, coming off these long layoffs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mate. Nah, I, need, I need to be active. That I'll be an even better fighter for more activity. Like I said, I, I did um, get to work on some flaws that um, that we found, you know, that, that I needed to do. But I'm ready now and I'm... And, uh, being active is going to make me even better fighter. So, within hopefully within the next two months, two three months, I'll be out again. And is there any names that you want? I know you said that you was offered the Fabio Wardley fight, and um, you know it was short notice. Obviously, it was the right thing to not take it, but. That's a fight I wouldn't mind seeing. I've seen a few other people. I think Dave Coldwell tweeted it um, on the night the other night. And I just thought, watching Wardley against Molina, you know, he could not afford to let you land on him the way he let Molina land on him the other night. And, you know, it's another undefeated record for this growing collection. But forget about me. What <laughs> what, what kind of names do you want, Nick, if there is anyone? I, I'm literally, I'm open to all offers, man. I would fight, you know. I fight anyone. It's up to my management team to point me in the right direction. Okay, okay. And I want to get your take on a couple of other heavyweight fights just before we wrap it up. Nick, May the first, uh, Chisora Parker. Who you got in that one, Nick? I like both as fighters. Uh, you know, um, Chisora, he's the English man, and uh, he, I've sparred with him a few times, and I'm definitely so I'm going to back my English man and go with Chisora. Okay, okay. And if it happens, we all want to see it. The mega fight for all the belts at heavyweight. Joshua Fury, Nick, who you got? Well, it's a tough one, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I can't can't be biased either, can I now? <laughs> Say what you like, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm just going to go on last performances, and I believe uh, Tyson Fury's last performance was out of this world, so I'm going to go with that, with Tyson Fury. Okie dokie. And just finally, Nick, if you've got any closing words, perhaps to the listeners, perhaps to sponsors you want to thank. I think we did that before. You had quite a few sponsors. That's completely fine. Uh, I'm going to, the floor is yours. Give you the microphone. Say whatever you like before we wrap it up, my man. Yeah, I'd just like to thank everyone that followed me. Uh, thanks my, thanks to my team, uh, my missus, my family, just um, for pushing me. Um, yeah, just, just keep watching me and I'll keep proving all your doubters wrong. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And like I say, Nick, you're back where you deserve to be on the undercard of big shows. And if you carry on this form, I'm sure you'll be headlining one of these big shows soon. It's always great to speak with you, my man. God bless you. And we'll catch up again Cheers, soon. Man. Wicked, mate. Lovely. Okay, and this wraps up episode 285 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's podcast, the former WBO heavyweight world champion, Joseph Parker, and the hard-hitting heavyweight who's on a run of his own, Mr. Nick Webb. Uh, The biggest thanks of all goes out to you, the listeners. Elsewhere, I've come up with... Um, with an idea that I'm thinking of starting um, a boxing prediction league. What will happen is that each person in the league will give their prediction for an upcoming fight. Let's say, for example, it's Herring against Frampton. You've got to pick the winner and the method of victory, and each correct prediction will earn you a point. Um, It's going to be £1 to enter, and at the end of the season, or maybe like the first to 10, I don't know, um, we'll win the pot of money. Winner takes all. So we need at least 10 people joined up to start this off drop me a message on twitter or instagram to get involved at box hard podcast hopefully in the future if this little prediction league thing takes off uh, we can give away prizes instead of small amounts of money just an idea anyway there has been one or two pieces of news break whilst we've been recording the show devin haney has announced he'll be defending his wbc world title against jorge linares on may 29th in las vegas i don't mind that fight to be to be honest with you, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that one. And of course, the results are in now for the Tim Su fight. He was able to knock out in five rounds Dennis Hogan, who had three losses, two on points to Jack Kalkai and Jaime Mungia, and a knockout loss in round seven to Jamal Charlo up at middleweight, where he had to move up. So on my measuring stick, that looks like a great win for what looks to be a promising pros- prospect in Tim Su, not a guy who's just, you know, Um, eating off of his father's name kind of thing. He looks to be uh, really good. And on the undercard, of course, our man Saki Obika managed to beat Sam Solomon by unanimous decision over eight rounds in their rubber match, so I'm pleased for him also. But that's about everything from myself. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again next week.